keep me near the cross.
cousin. I get to do a lot of things. You know, you probably saw I forgot to reattach my cordless mic. <laughs> Heard it in my pocket as I was moving around. Forgive me in that. I apologize for it. So, you know, today is Memorial Day. Well, actually, tomorrow is. And uh, a lot of times, a lot of people come to me and say, what, what is that? Pastor, what is it all about? And I would love to share just a minute with you and actually bring to you the differences of what our three days are to honor our military. And so, we have several times recognized our military. Let me tell you right now, there is no greater force in the United States than our military. Amen? Without them, we could not be free. And we are so grateful and so thankful for what you do and the life you live for the sacrifices you make for those that are retired, for those that are gone on in the service, and for those that served just a little. Went back home. We are still so grateful. Beyond grateful. What is Memorial Day? Memorial is a day in which we don't go up and say thank you for your service. It's a day in which we remember those who gave all in the service. It's to remember those who did not come home. It's to remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice that we might still be free. It's to remember them and to pray for their families and love their families. It's for that what it's all about. All right. So I want to thank all of our veterans and all of you who have served and I want to do something a little different. I don't do this very often, but if you serve, if you are retired, would you stand up and let us honor you? Let us love you and let us pray for you right now. Would you do that? Please. Anybody who serves, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Freedom is not free, y'all. And it is, certainly is not cheap. God bless you. Let's pray together for our veterans. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, for our veterans. I ask you to continue to bless them, to grow them, Lord, in faith in you, to draw them closer to you. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus Christ, to put your spirit upon them. I'm asking you, Lord, to protect them. And those nights, Lord, they lay in the bed and they remember. And those, Lord, the dreams come back. I'm asking you to take those away, Father. I'm asking you to give them peace, to give them love, Lord, and to draw them closer to you. Lord, I do pray for those families who suffer the ultimate loss. You would comfort them as only you can. You are the great shepherd, and you walk into the valley of the shadow of death. And, Lord God, you know what it's like to lose an only begotten son. So I'm praying, Father, that you would comfort them as only you can. They would feel you and know you. All these things we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, this morning's message is entitled, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a series that we will begin over the next couple of Sundays, actually three Sundays. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learn from it. And I hope you grow in it. And I hope and pray that it challenges you more than anything else. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus, chapter 3. As we look into the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love to hear those pages turn. Exodus, chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Isn't it amazing how when God calls a man, he always says their name twice? Not with ladies, always with men. Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. Samuel, Samuel. That's because God knows us men need to be called things twice. Amen? Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, right now we come to you in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, your word will have its way in our hearts and our lives this morning. That if there be anybody that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, or anybody, Father God, that needs to get their heart right, their walk right, their relationship with you right, would you let this morning be the morning as we give you the praise, the honor, and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I'd like you to take a look at the picture we have up here. It's Moses at the burning bush. It's a famous one, uh, kind of kind of inspired by the Charlton Heston movie there. Uh, the bush that burns, but doesn't burn up. So uh, remember the Charlton Heston version? It had the lights there, but it wasn't flames. I actually believe it was flames, and it wouldn't burn up. I think that's more miraculous. I believe it was fire. I believe it was on fire, and I believe it didn't burn up. You say, Pastor, why do you believe that? Because at Pentecost, the fire came down on top of the disciples' head, and they didn't burn up either. Somebody say amen. If God can do that in the upper room, what can He do with that little bush? And incidentally, if you take a look at some bushes nowadays in hearts and lives in churches, those, that bush, that tree, that cross is supposed to be on fire in the church everywhere you go, burning in our hearts, burning in our lives, and burning in people's consciousness about Jesus Christ. That's the picture that we have there of a burning bush. And so we hear something amazing inside of that exchange of dialogue as Moses comes to that bush. He says, I need to know who you are. And God responds in a very powerful way. Some of you are very familiar with that statement there. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, actually, where God says, you want to know who I am? You want to know who's sending you? Well, you already know I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But Moses wants to know his name. And what's funny here is God doesn't give that personal name. Not until chapter 6, actually. But this time he turns around and says, all right, Moses, you need to tell them who's sending you. You tell them. And in Hebrew, we have a wonderful expression here. It says, ayach, ashich, ayach means how we translate it. I am that I am. You can see it up there. That's what it looks like in Hebrew. I typed that out for you this morning. Literally what it means is I will be what I will be because I was what I was. And I am all that you will ever need because I never stop being what I am. It's got that kind of context to it. That I am what I am because I was what I was and I'll never stop being what I am right now. And that is nothing less than God. Amen. What he's telling Moses is you need a name to tell the people who's sending you. But I'm here to tell you, Moses, that I am everything you need. 
You don't need magic tricks. You don't need some sort of religious ceremony. What you need is the power of God. Amen? So he's reminding Moses, I am what I am. And I am to you, Moses, everything you need. And I believe the church today needs to hear that message. God heals everything we need. We need a, Some churches say we need a plan. We need a vision. We need some sort of operating budget. I'm here to tell you, all we need is God. That's all we've ever needed was God. And incidentally, that's all we're ever going to need. This country doesn't need a new politician. This country needs God. This country needs a dose of the Holy Ghost. This country needs revival. And we need it badly. And we need it right now. He says to Moses, I am that I am, Moses, because I was what I was. And I will always be what I am right now, God. So, as we look this morning at the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let's focus in on the forefathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I said we'd be starting a series over the next three Sundays, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you can see where we're going with this. Let's focus in on Abraham. Let's take a look at Abraham, where God says, I am the God of Abraham. And so we have another picture for you to see right there. And I love this picture because it had Abraham and Sarah right there. Incidentally, that's not really what they look like. Just a disclaimer. You'd be surprised how many people say, where did you get a picture from them that many years ago, Pastor? And I thought, in my office. <laughs> so, here lately, I've felt compelled to actually give that disclaimer out and say, that is some sort of YouTube recreation. I don't know what that is. So, anyways, it was freeware, and I was able to download it. I got a picture of what they think Abraham and Sarah look like, and I think that's probably not far off there culturally and the way they look right there, I think that's pretty close to what they might have looked like. Now, I need you to understand, the Bible describes Sarah as an exceedingly beautiful woman. And so you need to be an Abraham in your family today. You need to take a look at your wife and say, my wife is beautiful. Amen? Don't ever forget that. Don't ever lose that. And don't ever, ever be afraid to let the Bible be your God. If Sarah is told by her husband that she's exceedingly beautiful, then you guys need to tell your wives every day that your wife is beautiful. Amen? There was something a long time ago that you used to look at and say, my wife is beautiful. Let me tell you a little secret right now. Betsy takes my breath away every day because she's beautiful. Incidentally, she is not young when this starts out in Abraham's journey. She is old. Some of you might say, well, don't go, Pastor. I'm old nowadays. Well, that doesn't mean you have to quit being beautiful. Beauty isn't just what's on the outside. Beauty is what's in the inside. Amen? And it reflects and it comes out. And Abraham could look at his wife and see that she was beautiful. Not only that, but he knew that that beauty would be attractive to everybody else in the world. And it actually caused Abraham some problems. His unjustified fear of that. All right. Anyways, I chose that picture for that. Let's take a look at Abraham this morning. What is Abraham known for? Well, we already know what Abraham's famous for. He's famous for his faith, isn't he? Do you remember the incident going up Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22 where he, by faith, was going to sacrifice his son to God? What a faithful man he was. Remember in Genesis chapter 12 where God said, Abraham, get thee out of thy father's house. 
Get out of that country. Leave behind all that stuff. Come follow me. I will show you a place. It was faith that Abraham was known for. Not only faith, but loyalty. He was fiercely loyal to this God he had never known until God spoke to him and said, Move out of your father's house. When he heard that voice, he never went back to worshiping the gods of his father. No, he stuck with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what a wonderful testimony that must be. Could you imagine what kind of relationship Abraham had with God for God to refer to him as his name as, I'm the God of Abraham. What an amazing relationship that must have been. What a testimony it was. God himself said that. I am the God of Abraham. I am the one who spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12. I'm the one that spoke to him in Genesis 15. I'm the one that spoke to him in Genesis 22. I am that God, and I'm still watching you. I still hear you. Why? Because I still love Abraham. Abraham was known for his faith. He was known for his loyalty to that God. He was also known for being the husband of Sarah. As I said before, she was a world-known first-class beauty. He's also known for being the father of Isaac. Isaac. And he's known for his dialogue with God at Sodom and Gomorrah. We're not going to get into Sodom and Gomorrah today. We're going to talk a little bit about Abraham. So let's focus in this morning on Abraham and see what made him so remarkable. So turn with me, please, from Exodus chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to jump around just a little bit as we look at Abraham, Father Abraham, and find out what made him so remarkable. Why God will refer to himself as, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's find out what makes Abraham so remarkable. Look at with me in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, this is before Abram had his name changed. He gets his name changed later on. And it becomes now, right now, Abram literally means exalted father, which is uh, quite a Hebrew joke if you speak Hebrew because you know Abram has no children at this time. He's going to get his name changed to Abraham, to Abrim, however you want to say it, meaning exalted father of a multitude, which is even funnier if you read Hebrew. But it's not funny because of how much faith Abraham has. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country from your father's house and from uh, your father's place to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And ye shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me see this picture here of Abraham's great faith. He's in his father's house. He's in the Ur of the Chaldees. They are worshiping a moon god, a moon goddess at this time, which has later on developed into a thorn in Christian sides that you know as Allah. That's right. That's where Abraham started at, worshiping a false and fake god. The real god speaks to him and says, I'm going to show you the way. I want to show you the truth. I want to show you the life. And he does. And leads him out of the early Chaldees. He left behind his father's house, left behind his father's custom, and went to a place God showed him he had never been to before. And the Bible tells us, God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we can see then 
that God promises to bless Abraham if you follow me, if you leave that old stuff behind you. Of course, when those things happen, we can surely see God's plan. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth because of you. And we can see the changing of Abraham's name and what happens there. So, let's get ready to move on this journey. Abraham, you're going to be a blessing. Abraham, follow me. Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you. Abraham, I will curse those who curse you. And we begin Abraham's remarkable journey of faith, loyalty, and of course, how he treats his wife, and of course, how he loves and raises his son. All right, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. I know we're jumping in some scriptures, and I want to apologize for that, but we want to see what makes Abram so great that God would say, I am the God of Abraham. We want to see that. We want to see what it means to be a child of Abraham. You saw in Genesis chapter 12 where God actually said, I will bless you. You are going to bless all the nations of the earth. And so right now as Christians, we believe that when we put Jesus Christ in our heart, we become part of that family. We become part of the family of Abraham. That means Abraham is one of our fathers. Have you ever heard the children in our church sing that wonderful song? Father Abraham had many sons. I tried to have us do that for a choir special, but Robert said no. I think it would be funny. <laughs> Anyways, we believe that we become part of Abraham's family. And most of you would agree with that as your Bible readers. We get grafted into that family. We become part of that rich heritage where we get Abraham's family, Abraham's faith, Abraham's loyalty. And we also get, guess what? The Bible says, I bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. We get that protection as well. We become one of Abraham's children and we see how God's promise is fulfilled. I will bless all the nations of the earth because of you. You're going to have children like sand on the seashore. You're going to have children like stars in the sky. And because of Christ, that is happening and being fulfilled in Abraham's life. So look with me in Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. The Bible says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, he has given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he, being God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Now to set the scene in your mind's eye, we have Abram having a vision. This vision is inside a tent. Inside of his tent. It's a Bedouin tent, so it's not... Uh, a little Coleman tent that sleeps two or four or six people. It is a huge tent. It's a tent that's as large as a mansion and it takes a couple of days to set it up properly. He's inside it and God speaks to him inside a vision and says, they're going to be a father of a nation. And eventually he takes Abraham outside. This is a very personal vision. And he walks Abraham outside and looks up at the stars and says, if you can count all these stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And, of course, we see the beginning of Abraham's great faith in verse 6. The Bible says he believed in the Lord, 
and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And I need you to understand that is the basis of Christianity today. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. We believe in faith. And the Bible tells us here in verse 6 that Abraham's faith was accounted as righteousness. So we have a picture of the stars here. And this is just a small picture. I blew it up a little bit so we could see it, but I can't even count all those dots on that little screen. Could you imagine what it would be like to go outside and try to count them? You ever did that as a, as a child? Did you ever do that? Go outside and lay on your back and count the stars, let alone try to count the clouds as they pass by. you lose count pretty quick. Or if you have trouble sleeping, that'll put you to sleep. Going like this. Count the stars. You know, I once tried to count the sheep, and that didn't work either. And so I started pasturing in the land passes area, and there was a lot of goats and sheep farmers and herders there. And so I started talking to the counties about that and said, who counts all the sheep and the goats around here? They said, well, we got somebody that we've employed for the job, but every time he starts counting the sheep, he keeps falling asleep. That's not a true story. Have you ever tried counting the stars there? Have you ever for real? Just look at that little picture right there. How hard would that be to count those stars? The Bible says, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And you, Christian, are one of Abraham's children. And that means you're one of those stars up in the sky. Count them if you can. Your descendants will be as the stars, Abraham. So if you're a Christian this morning, you're a descendant of Abraham, as we already talked about. And that means you are a star. Remember, your descendants will be as the stars of the sky. That means you're a star. And what do, church, what do stars do? They shine in the darkness. They light the way for lost people. Stars are what we're needing right now in a time of spiritual darkness in America, in a time where God's work has been despised and rejected. We need some stars. Can I get an amen this morning? Shine, baby, shine. It's time for us to be children of Abraham. It's time for us to start being star-like and start shining at a time where our country does not know where to go, where our people don't know where to go. Well, you watch one church because you love it, and next week the pastor's getting arrested. We need to be stars. Shine. We need to be those stars. Stars shine at nighttime. And I'll tell you right now, it's so spiritually dark in the world today. We are killing our innocent children. We're lying to them. We're trying to lead them down pathways of immorality in the name of choice. Stars lead lost people. You ever look back in the history books and they would navigate by the North Star. I want to be that kind of star in my Christianity. Constant Loyal, always there. Something you can navigate your life by. And you know something? God's Word is that way to a Christian. And Christians are supposed to be that way to lost people. Amen? We're supposed to be that kind of star. But you can only see stars when it's dark. You can only see them at night times. I said before, we should have a particular time right now in America where you see nothing but stars. Yes, there's blackness all around. Yes, there's darkness and immorality all around. But we should be shining in the sky. We should be shining lights wherever we go. 
stars were supposed to be. Count those stars, Abraham. Your children will be like those stars. Now, I know that he's really referring to the number of them. But I can't help as a Baptist preacher to look inside. What else do stars do? Not only do they serve a purpose for kids counting, but they also serve that purpose of leading the lost. And we should be leading the lost people to Jesus Christ. We should be leading them to where they need to go. We should be constant, faithful, a direct line to where we need to go. But what else was Abraham? The God of Abraham we're looking at this morning. We saw that Abraham was faithful. We saw that Abraham was loyal. We saw that Abraham was somebody who loved his wife so much that Pharaoh wanted to be a part of that, didn't he? He loved his wives. So we need to shine like those stars. We need to love our wives. We need to love our children. We need to love our church. We need to love our God supremely. Amen? And we need to be leading those lost people to Jesus constantly. You say, well, Pastor, I can only be seen when it's dark outside. Hello? Hello? It's so dark outside in the world today that we don't know what restroom to use anymore. It's so dark outside. We're telling men they can be a part of ladies' sports nowadays. We're telling our children in our public school system that you can be a girl if you're really a boy and that your gender doesn't identify who you are. Excuse me? That's how dark it is morally and spiritually in our country today. And we need to start shining in the darkness. That means we've got a truth that the world can't see. And when they look up and start navigating by God's Word, they will find us moved to Jesus Christ. It's time for us to shine. It is definitely time for the church to have stars. I'm not talking about mega preachers. I'm not talking about wonderful song leaders. I'm not talking about great songwriters. I'm talking about constant, loyal, faithful people who are always there. That's what the church needs. It's time for us to have stars again. What else was Abraham? Look with me in Genesis 22. You know the story there. We're not going to focus in on it this morning. It was the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. Let's find out another description God gives to Abraham. After the angel had halted Abraham from the sacrifice, he says, I was testing your faith, and I know now you will not withhold anything from God. Look at what happens here. Look with me in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. We've already seen that. And as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, as you have obeyed my voice. Let's look at our next slide. Probably not a real seashore, but it sure is beautiful, isn't it? Just that little portion of sand there on the bottom. Do you think you can count? How many sand grains there are? As a kid, I used to pick up handfuls of sand one week ago, and I would wonder how many grains were just in my hand. Do you think anybody could count them? I would get tired after about 250 of them, stick them down in the water, and say, Yeah, there was only 250 of them. 
I'm reminded of the little owl that counts how many licks it gets to the center of a Tootsie Pop. Three! But you know, what is God saying? Your descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. Let me tell you a little bit about learning from sand. Sand is the most irritating stuff in the world. It gets everywhere. When you go to the beach, it's in your flip-flops. It gets in your potato salad. It gets in your bathing suit. And it doesn't matter how nice the hotel is. You get in there, there's going to be sand by the end of the day. In the shower, in the floor, in the hallway, in the elevator, wherever you are. Sand, sand everywhere, sand. God says to Abraham, your descendants going to be like sand. Well, if we got to be star-like and start shining and start leading people to Christ, what does sand do? Well, we're already trying to describe it. We're already trying to describe what sand does. Sand is the most irritating stuff in the world. If you're a mechanic, there's nothing worse than one little teeny tiny grain of sand getting down inside the valve cover of your car. That will scar your valve. If it gets down in the crankcase, it will scar your crank, causing engine knocks and pains and causing problems. One little grain of sand. Just one. Not, let alone a handful. Sand. If you get one in your mouth while you're eating a potato salad and you bite down on it, you will never forget it. Get one in between your flip-flop and your toe. Just one little grain. And by the time you get to the car, you have a blister on definition of a good Christian. You say, are we supposed to be irritated? God? No, 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 no. We're supposed to be friction in a world that's going away from God. We're supposed to be sand to remind people that there is truth, there is absolute truth in this world. Because right now they're trying to teach us in our science classes, in our universities, in our public school systems that there is no absolute truth. And I want to absolutely tell you that if you get sand in your mouth, you know there's something absolute. If you get sand in your shoes, there's something absolutely true. They're trying to tell us that because there's no absolute truth, that there is no absolute morality. Well, the Bible says there is absolute morality. And that one day, and Jesus Christ is coming back to judge us according to righteousness by that absolute truth. Absolute truth. We're supposed to be a little sandy. Sand is hard to get rid of. Sand is hard to clean up. No matter how much you sweep it, there's always a grain left over somewhere. When the world starts cleaning out Christianity, then no matter what happens, there's always going to be a little grain left somewhere. We need to start being sandy in our faith. We need to start getting everywhere and everything. The world needs to start despising us because we're going to remind them that there is truth, that there is righteousness, and that Jesus will judge this world in righteousness, not happiness. And we need to start getting sandy in our faith. You might be a little starry, but are you sandy? I love the total polar opposite. We got one so high in the sky we can't touch it, but we got one so low on the ground, it's underneath our feet. Sandy. I will make some descendants sandy. I will make some descendants starry. And you know what? It takes both sand and stars to make a church. Some of us need to be sandy in our faith. 
Sand is what gets in the way. Sand is what's there reminding people that there is something you can't get rid of. And you cannot get rid of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the gates of hell will never prevail against His church. So how did Abraham get these blessings? What do you think he did? God showed up and said, boy, you're my friend. In fact, the Bible actually says that. Abraham is my friend. What an honor that is to introduce himself as I am the God of Abraham. What did Abraham do? Did he do some wonderful religious ceremony? Did he get some high level? No. No. We'll go back to Genesis 15. What did the Bible say? Verse 6. And Abraham believed him. And God did what? Credited to him as I'll be honest with you for a minute. It doesn't matter how good you think you've been. It doesn't matter how holy you think you are. You know, I know some preachers that are so holy, they will only use St. Joseph Ashman. It's true. I know some folks that are holier than thou art. I remember the first time I was ordained, I started introducing myself as Reverend. It took about two minutes for somebody to cut me back down the side and say, you're just a little fellow after all. That's why I know I'm a piece of sand. Amen. I'm irritating. And when I go to lost people, they get irritated. And I say, praise God, I'm doing my job. I'm getting caught up in their engine. I'm getting caught up in their flip-flop. I'm getting caught up in their potato salad. Praise God. They know I'm here because I brought God with me. I want to be sandy. Josh, you ever get starry? I tried, but I'm just not tall enough. How did Abraham get those blessings? What did he do? Well, the Bible says he believed God. You know, did you know what the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? You know what it says? For we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. What did Abraham do to get those blessings? Are you ready for this? It's going to knock your socks off. And I hope there's no sand in it today. What did he do? Nothing. Nothing. All he did was believe God. What God said, God was going to do. And God is still looking for people like that. I want someone to say, I want to believe in the God of Brother Joshua. I want to believe that God. I want to know that God. I think that's the greatest compliment in the world. I want God to show up to somebody and say, I'm the God of Joshua. That little piece of sand that irritates you. How did Abraham get those blessings? What did he do? Nothing. So what did Jesus say about Abraham? What did he say? We can't go through a sermon like this without talking about Jesus, can we? Take a look with me in John chapter 8. Let's read just a couple of verses. We're almost done here today. I know I'm a little over my normal time, and I apologize for that. But let's take a look at what Jesus said about Abraham. John chapter 8, let's read just three verses. Verse 56 and 59. The Bible says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he's actually talking about Jews who are directly related to Abraham. Not those that are grafted in. Those that were by blood related to Abraham. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? 
Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There's that same word we talked about in Genesis, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3. Ayah, Asher, Ayah. Now this time it's in Greek, and what is it in Greek? Egoimi. We get our word ego from it. Egoimi. It means I am that I am because I was what I was, because I will be what I will be, because I will always be me. I am. The Bible tells us in verse 59, they took up stones to throw at him. So Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And you need to pay attention to this last part. Going through the midst of them and so passed by. There is nothing in your Bible that's not there for a purpose. Not one word. Not one statement. Not one sentence. Everything has a meaning and everything has a reason. And the reason why we have here in verse 59 of John telling us that Jesus went through the midst of them. We're going to find out here in just a second. We started out this morning when we looked at Abraham and looked at the first description of his descendants in Genesis chapter 15. Where God said, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of the sky. And when that dialogue is over, Abraham does something very interesting. The Bible says he starts to offer a sacrifice. It's a very special sacrifice. You might know it as a word called holocaust. That's right. Show up. A burning. The Bible tells us in Genesis 15 and verse 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. I also think this might be the same kind of sleep that fell upon Adam when God took that rib from him. But what did Adam wake up to? Amen? A beautiful moment. What did Abram wake up to? Look here in verse 13. Then he, God, said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. We're talking about the Egypt enslavement. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions, and they do. Now as for you, verse 15, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Ye shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God knows. God knows nations that are turning away from Him. God knows what the United States is doing. God knows how we've taken him out of our schools. God knows how we've kicked him out of our political system. God knows how we've taken that morality away from our children, from our people. And we are suffering for it right now. But let me be honest with you. The iniquity, obviously, is not yet complete. Verse 17, it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven. We have a modern day translation that might say torch. And a burning torch that passed between those pieces. It's a Jewish covenant ceremony. Who's doing this? Not Abraham. God is. And I need you to understand what the Bible says here in verse 17. Passed between them. Passed through the midst of those pieces. Because God is making a statement to Abraham. If you'll look at what the sacrifice was, he had laid aside some goats and sheep. Abraham throughout the day would take his broom and drive away the birds knowing that God was coming until the deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And Abraham witnessed 
figure carrying that torch in between the pieces, perhaps circling around them. It's something called a brick, which is a covenant-making thing. What God is saying to Abraham is if I don't do what I promised you, if I don't make your descendants like the stars in the sky, if I don't make your descendants like the sand of the seashore, if I don't make them plentiful, if I don't bless you, if I don't bless those who bless you, if I don't curse those who curse you, then what's happening here will happen to me. That's all. If I don't do it, then that'll happen to me. Literally what God's saying is I would rather be poor in peace than let something happen to you. Look at verse 18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And we saw in John chapter 8 that Jesus passed through the Jordan. We'll read the rest of the story because his time wasn't yet. Iniquity wasn't full. However you want to say it. You say, well, Pastor, the Christ had to suffer. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I need you to see the picture there. Passed through. The smoking furnace passed through the covenant we just talked about. And now I want to take you to the cross. I want to take you to the cross where Jesus bled and died for you. Where God said, I love you so much, I don't want to put you in hell. I don't want you to be damned forever in eternity. And because of that, I'd rather put my son on the cross so that you can pass over into heaven forever. I would rather have my son die than you go to hell without me forever. I would rather you pass through to me than have a life without you. Pass through the covenant. Pass through it. You can see the picture. So many years ago, as Father Abraham fell asleep and he heard God say, I would rather be torn in two. The Bible says, not one person will be able to pluck us out of his hand. Amen? Not one, not any, not ever. Not one the Father has given him will be lost. Why? Because we're the children of Abraham. If you will just believe this morning, if you will put Jesus in your heart, that you will be like Abraham and let it be counted to you as righteousness, you too can be saved. You too can have eternal life. You too can have a relationship with God where God says, I would rather be torn in two than lose you. You too can be known as one of Abraham's children. Perhaps you say, Pastor, I am a Christian. But I'm not living right. I know God is with me and I know God is going to save me. But I know I'm not doing right. What does that mean for me? Well, you know, sin works in two different ways, doesn't it? Not only does it irritate people who aren't saved, it irritates people who are saved sometimes. I still have sand in my minivan from our uh, vacation at the beach about five years ago. I just cannot get rid of it. You know, I got to thinking the other day, I could start sweeping it out and start filling up bags. And sell the bags. Where did it all come from? It's a miracle. But there it is. If you're not living right with Christ, 
not only do you irritate the world, you irritate the church around you. Because they're praying for you and they love you. And they want to see God use you. A piece of sand by itself that's not being used is just that. A piece of sand by itself. When the sand gets together, it becomes the seashore. And it's time for you to get back where you belong. It's time for you to get back in God's family, with God's people, on God's seashore. It's time for you to come home. Or perhaps you say, Pastor, that baptism moved me this morning, and I need to be baptized. Would you be willing to come back? Perhaps you say, Pastor, God's calling me to be a part of Robertson Avenue. Whatever it is, would you be willing to come this morning? Surrender to Jesus. We're going to have a word of prayer. If He's spoken to you, would you come? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, and we want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord, this morning. And I pray you'd reach out and touch us. Lead us and guide us and direct us. If there could be anybody that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, or anybody, Father, needs to get their heart right with you, or anybody, Lord, that needs to get their walk right with you. And so that today be that day the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Would you come as we sing? Speak to my heart. Would you come this morning? time of here with us at Robert Stanley Baptist Church. Don't forget, tonight we're going to have uh, our fifth Sunday singing, so come and be a part of that. Uh, don't know who's all going to be here. You know, it is the nature of a Baptist church. We just don't know, but you come and be a part of that. And so I understand there's going to be some hamburgers and hot dogs and some singing. What is not to like? Amen? So come and eat a hamburger with us. Come and sing with us and worship a little bit. It'll be about an hour long. 
So uh, not a lot of time, but a blessing to everybody involved. Don't forget to take time to remember those who have fallen. Don't forget to take time to remember those families who have given the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And don't forget to pray for the United States of America. God knows we need it. Amen? All right. So with that being said, uh, Wednesday night Bible study, 6.30, uh, will be led by, Pat, uh, by Brother Mark, who is going to lead it for us. Uh, on Wednesday, I will be in Kentucky visiting that ark. And if it starts to rain anymore, I'm just going to stay there. Right. Don't forget next Sunday as well, Lord's Supper service. <laughs> Never argue with your wife. Be an Abraham. Be an Abraham and say, You're beautiful, dear. All right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Woody. I needed that last one. Yes, Betsy told me twice this morning as well. Uh, don't forget to be in prayer for our vacation Bible school for upcoming youth camps. And is there anything else I may have forgotten? If not, let's close in that word of prayer. And now we'll see you tonight. Uh, don't forget choir practice at 4. Is that what it was? 4 o'clock choir practice. Come be a part of that. All right. Thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Bless us now as we go about our business and about our ways. Lord, would you keep us safe? Give us the opportunity to be sandy and starry everywhere we go. Share your gospel, your son, your good news with everybody you meet, Lord. And I pray that you bring us safely back to your house and worship you. It's in Jesus' holy and righteous name we pray. Amen. God bless you all, and I'll see you tonight.